This is the Dice Tower Network at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, Episode 15, Origins 2013 Report, Part 2. I am your host, Marty, and my co-host, Tony, is still lying on a beach somewhere on vacation. But he really deserves a break because making podcasts is hard. But anyway, this is the second part of our special Origins Report where I had the opportunity to talk to several game companies while I was at Origins this past weekend with my family. Got a lot of great news and a lot of great tidbits on some games that just came out of Origins or being previewed for upcoming Gen Con release. So instead of me just sitting around talking to myself, which this feels really weird because I'm used to doing that whole conversation thing with somebody else, eh, let's just go ahead and get to the interviews. Here we are at Origins on Saturday afternoon, and I'm with Stephen Bonacor with Stronghold Games. Stephen, has it been a good show for you so far? It certainly is. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. Um, the show really has stepped up this year versus last year. Um, Origins had kind of like come down in attendance last year because they put it sort of in May. But this year, very strong, good date, and the attendance is way up, and the buzz around Stronghold Games stuff is certainly great. I've not had an empty seat almost the entire convention in the booth, so things are going really well here. You, you guys have so many great games, but I know there's a few games for this show that you're kind of featuring. You want to tell us about those? Sure. I have actually three uh, games that are premiering here at Origins. The first one that I want to talk about is Baluspa, or actually technically pronounced Waluspa. But what it is is a tile-laying game with really brilliant artwork by Piero, uh, who's done Ghost Stories and Lost Temple. Uh, and in this game, you're, it's a Norse mythology setting and you're trying to use the gods and the creatures of Norse mythology to dominate lines vertically and horizontally on the board, which is just the table, as you place the tiles. Really neat, fast um, game with really slick mechanics and absolutely gorgeous art. So we really feel strongly about that game. That's going to premiere, um, that's premiering here, and it's also going to be street dating on July 2nd. And the next game that we have here uh, is Vampire Empire. And Vampire Empire is a two-player game. It's in my two-player line with Revolver. But here, and, and very asymmetrical like Revolver, so it's a vampire versus hunter game. So when you're playing on one side, playing the vampire, it's going to play completely different than when you're playing the hunter, and your objectives are completely different. In Vampire Empire, there are nine characters in the castle, and three of them are vampires, and the other six are humans. So the vampire has got to bluff his way around to keep the hunter off the scent of which ones are the vampires. And the hunter is trying to figure out, so he's using deduction to figure out which of the nine characters are actually vampires and kill them. So we have conflict, a lot of conflict in this game, just like in Revolver. So the, they're going to be going back, they're going to be, once, once the, you're on the scent of one of the vampires, the hunter's going to start attacking characters. Anybody might be attacking humans too. So there's going to be a lot of carnage of those nine characters, just like in Revolver again. So really heavily thematic games in that line. Um, and this one dripping with the artwork, and this one also really neat because it looks very dark and gothic and stuff like that. It, it takes place in a ca- castle in Central Europe, you know, where all good vampire stories should be done. And then finally, that's also going to, by the way, street date July 2nd. So the final game, uh, which is not going to be out until the end of July, is Time and Space. Now this one is truly, truly unique. 
not only is the game a 30-minute game, it's timed 30-minute game, and it also comes with a 12-minute introductory game that you can play first. So not only a timed game, you also have two sand timers of one minute each. So to take an action in the game, you have to turn over the sand timer, say, to move your ship. Because this is a pick-up-and-deliver game with, with these two sand timers that will, only, will allow you to make two moves of one minute at a time. When one sand timer runs out, you can then do another either movement of your spaceship or produce goods or deliver goods. So very, very, very unique mechanics, both a timed game in and of itself and with the sand timers for each player to take their actions. Really going to be very popular, we think. Uh, and again, this one's coming out end of July for us. So it's almost like a real-time board game, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, it is a real-time board game because you have to do these things almost as fast as you can, but you'll have a minute between your actions to think about what your next action is going to be. So it doesn't have that stress of true real time, like, but, it ha but certainly you only have that one minute. So between that one minute, uh, you're going to have to say, hmm, well, where's that ship going next? Or should I be now producing a good here versus picking one up and taking one? So yeah, it's, gonna be a, it's really interesting. And, and it, since it plays in that exact amount of time, you know like, okay, we break this out, we're going to be here in, for 30 minutes, and then oh, all the guys are showing up, then we'll play something else afterwards. Well, this is one I'm really extremely interested in just because of the unique mechanic. Now, is there a timer for the 30-minute time? Is there, like, music or something to play in the background? Very good question. It doesn't come in the game, but we have on our website, we're going to have two soundtracks that you can download. It was specifically made for the game, nice spacey kind of sounds. You have a 12-minute and a 30-minute soundtrack. And, of course... We have the Stronghold Games Timer app, a free app for your iPhone or Android, and we're, we're modifying that so that not only can you use the two timers for the game itself, for those two one-minute timers, and the soundtracks will be built into the app too. So you can say, okay, we're playing the 30-minute version, play the soundtrack. So you can do both of those things if you download our free app from the, uh, from the Apple Store or the Google Store. Fantastic. And if uh, listeners want to go find out more about these games, where can they go? They go to strongholdgames.com or on Facebook at Stronghold Games page or on Twitter at Stronghold Games. And uh, our newsletter, we, you know, we, we send those out to our, th those who sign up for the newsletter on the website. And we only send that out one a month, so we won't spam you or anything like that. Keep abreast of what's going on in Stronghold Games. We have a lot of interesting stuff coming up this summer. Well, fantastic. Stephen, thanks for taking time with us. Have a great rest of the show. All right, thanks, Marty. I appreciate it. I'm here with Randall from Catalyst Games Labs at their booth at Origins, and uh, Randall, your, your booth's pretty crowded today, and it's been crowded for about three days. What's some of the new games these people are excited about? Uh, well, one is the Duke, hands down. Uh, we are so excited about this. Uh, we had a great Kickstarter with it. Uh, the community was fantastic in helping us out. Um, you know, took a little longer than we thought <laughs> to get it out, but it's finally out shipping to uh, our backers and is coming out uh, in stores early July uh, and it's here at the show and we're showing it off uh, it's a great tile laying game where you're either drawing from the bag or you're moving your tiles around on the board uh, the great mechanic of it is that uh, twofold one is that uh, all the movement that you need to know is right on the tile so once you get the rules in your head and they're very simple rules for the movement then you can just look at the board no matter what tiles out there and you're going to be moving really easily. Uh, the second is that every time that you do move you're flipping the tile and so it slightly changes the profile of movement and this creates a wonderful dynamic uh, of you know fluidity of every time the attacker and defender are constantly flipping back and forth and you're having to adjust for that. Uh, and it also creates an amazing amount of replayability. I mean you know again probably 200 plus games over the last year I've played 
partly because I just love it so much, partly for playtesting the additional expansion packs we have coming, uh, and I still just love playing the game. So uh, anyone that wants to, that that sounds interesting to them, can go to the website at CatalystGameLabs.com, uh, and we have a free print and play of the rules, the entire rules, the, all the tiles, you can print them out, you can play the full experience of the game to decide if you actually want to move on to the tiles. Uh, and then we have multiple expansion sets that are already designed and in-house that will be shipping out in the next couple of months as well. And again, all of those have their own print and play. So each player can go up, test them out, see if it's something they're, they're going to enjoy, and then be able to go and grab the game. Well, as a backer on Kickstarter, it just hurt me to come in here and see these boxes knowing that mine's probably sitting at home, and so I'm really excited to go home and try it because when the project came out last year, like you said, it's like, oh, it's kind of like chess, except each piece has different movements, and then it changes its movements again based on when you flip the tile. So I thought that was a really cool concept. And the, uh, the table where this has been uh, demoed has been packed every time I've walked by, so it seems to be uh, getting a, a lot of interest here today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite moments is some guy's playing this, and he immediately was like, He's a big uh, BoardGameGeek.com guy, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. And every time somebody stopped, uh, and I was about ready to take on the side and give them a little spiel, he's immediately, oh, you're going to love this game. Here, let me show you how it's played. And, and he had just learned how to play it, but it's just that easy to get the rules that he could immediately have that excitement, the ability to, to grab them. And, I, you know, I was almost letting him start to run the demos. So it was a great Great moment. Right. And as I look around the booth, I see we got the big uh, the airship out here for Le Le Leviathans. Anything going on with that game? Uh, <laughs> for those that have followed the saga of Leviathans, uh, it, it's a very big, awesome game. And I'm exceedingly proud of the game design. I think the visuals are stunning. It's a wonderfully fun game to play. Unfortunately, it's also an incredibly huge, complex game. Uh, from production-wise, printing and the manufacturing side, we ran into a ton of problems. We're in the process of transitioning over to a brand new printer to handle all this. And unfortunately, like a book, I, you know, I like to joke that I can fall out of bed and wake up in the morning with a book in my hand. You know, that we're really good at. Uh, and so we're still in the ropes of learning how to do this appropriately. And so we're in the process of trying to get a new print run going because uh, it's pretty much all sold out, which is fantastic. Uh, but when you have to get a new print run and transition to a new manufacturer that can handle all of that, you know, it does make it a much more time-consuming process. Right. Um, we do have the captain's box that's pretty much all designed and ready to go once we've gotten that pipeline figured out. Uh, and it's the uh, kind of the enhanced rules, as I call them. Uh, it'll have elevation rules. Uh, it'll have clouds and wind. It has crew abilities and different... Uh, combat abilities. I mean, it's just stuffed full. And the, base, the best part is it's designed to be really plug and play. So every time you sit at the table, you can decide, I'm, let's just take this rule, let's just take this rule, you know, sample, decide what you want to do each time you play. Uh, and then we also have the Germans and Italians that are almost completely fully play tested. Uh, almost all the art assets are done. Um, and hopefully, again, once we fix the pipeline, those will start flowing out. And then uh, monstersinthesky.com is the website for Leviathans, and I'm up there every two, three weeks blogging constantly. Uh, we're sharing free PDFs. We're doing open beta tests of various rules. I'm showing off how the 
how I worked on the development of the art in the game, so there's still a lot there to experience. Well, my co-host Tony and I actually demoed the game last year at Origins, right when it premiered, and we fell in love with it. And because the, the models are beautiful, we thought one of the best design ideas ever was your uh, multicolor 12-sided die to represent other multi-sided dice in the game, and we thought that was a real neat concept. I pick up this color, this color, this color, and roll, and we knew we were just playing the base rules, and we thought, wow, this can really grow into all your elevations and your different terrains and stuff like that. So I'm really excited to, to see when your next run comes out and hopefully really build a strong community for this game, because if you guys haven't tried it, it's an incredible game. Yeah, I can... Uh... <laughs> I can remember when the first, actually I just opened them up a couple of weeks ago just because every once in a while it's fun to do it. I opened up the first draft of the game and it's utterly nothing like that. It's a very traditional tabletop war game, 2D10, you know, pages and pages of modifiers. And I kept thinking to myself that at that time, because this was about four or five years ago, you know, board games were just exploding everywhere. And I kept thinking to myself, and, and, and steampunk was really becoming, you know, the byword. And so I kept thinking to myself, if somebody loves the steampunk, and as a big board game player, and they've never played a role-playing game before or a war game before, how can I try to craft this game in a way that's going to be really appeasing and really easy to get into but still retain all of the mechanics necessary to have those modifiers or else the gameplay is not going to be enjoyable at all? Uh, and just one day I had this epiphany of being able to can the comparisons of the bell curves of all of those different polyhedrals can that mimic the modifiers and so I did the math and I tapped Lauren to do the math and we have uh, Mike Miller who's we, uh, you know our science guru has got I don't know how many PhDs had him chugging numbers we had another guy Joseph <laughs> who's really good at math we all did amazing amounts of chugging someday I'm gonna share some of the spreadsheets we generated and ultimately, it came out that, you know what, it does it exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm really proud of that, uh, that game mechanic in the game. So. Fantastic. So, with uh, Origins about ready to wrap up and Gen Con coming up on the horizon, is there any games going to be premiering coming up there over the next few months? Well, I know that uh, you talked with uh, Jason about Shadowrun, and I'm going to say it too. Shadowrun 5th Edition is just the king. Um, you know, we've worked on this a very long time. Uh, the response, even just here at Origins, has been beyond anything I've ever seen. And I've, I've worked in this industry a long time so far. Uh, so we're super, super excited about that. Uh, we're working on Crossfire, which is a deck building game uh, for Shadowrun uh, that we're demoing here at the show. We'll be demoing it in Force at Gen Con as well. Not exactly sure yet whether it's going to be on sale there or not. We are working on that, though. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the Duke will be in Force. We're actually going to be doing our first big Duke tournament. Uh, and there's going to be a unique participation tile. So if you play in the tournament, and even if you don't place in any way, shape, or form, you're going to walk away with a unique tile you can play in your game. Uh, and then the, the winner of the game is actually going to walk away with uh, four unique tiles. Uh, trying to think if there's any other games that are uh, coming along. It's been a long couple of days, so I apologize right. if no, I'm suddenly, okay. <laughs> if there's silence on that's the air. Okay. Oh, no. We're talking about the, the Shadow Run. I look over here, and I see no books over there. Are they all sold out? They were sold out. In fact, we sold more books. It, like I said, I've been coming to Origins for 15-plus years, coming on 20 years, uh, going all the way back to Fasta Days, and we sold more Shadow Run than I've ever seen any book move in any of the companies I've ever been with. Um, and that, that's just a huge testament to the passion 
of the Shadowrun community for this fantastic universe. And that was the um, Origin special release. So when is when are the people that who weren't here at Origins going to be able to get their hand on that tome? Uh, we're currently saying late summer. Uh, we don't have an exact date. It's all off of the printers. Uh, but we've learned through pain and suffering that uh, it's better to wait until it's actually in the warehouse before releasing a specific date. Um, so once we have that date, we'll be screaming it from the rooftops. Uh, if anyone's interested, ShatterinTabletop.com uh, is a source where we're blogging once a week, if not multiple times a week, about Shatterun, uh, Crossfire. Uh, I'm in the process of designing a miniatures game for Shatterun called Sprawlgangers. Um, that's basically kind of molded on the Necromunda style of, yes, the gameplay is really fun, but it's all about the campaign play, about building across multiple scenarios. Uh, in fact, uh, by the end of this month, uh, I'm supposed to have the third playtest cycle rules out. Uh, so we're blogging about that. Uh, Shatterin.com also is kind of an umbrella that talks about not only all the tabletop stuff that we're doing, but also talks about Shatterin Returns. Uh, which is Hairbrain Schemes Jordan's game uh, that that uh, I think the next month or so it should be releasing. Uh, then Jan and his team from Cliffhanger Productions are doing uh, Shadowrun Online, which is an MMO. You know, we've really been calling this a year of Shadowrun just because there's it's just crammed full with you know no matter what is your hit <laughs> for the Six World, that's the place to take it at. Fantastic. Well, lastly, I just want to share one thing as as gamers. We really appreciate the one-on-one -on -one that uh, your company gives. I love reading your tweets all the time about the updates, about what's going on in your life. I just had a cup of coffee, and I'm getting ready to run to a meeting and stuff like that. For me, that one-on-one -on -one is really cool to see into the uh, life of what goes on to a game designer and a company as large as yours. And a lot of people, companies, you don't have that personal uh, connection, but you guys do a great connection with the gaming community through social media and stuff like that. And I, for one, really appreciate that, and I think it really connects with your fans. Well, thank you. We, we've actually had a lot of discussions over the years about that, and that, you know, there's definitely some days where I'm like, man, you know, I... I do a lot of this. Is it is it really worth my time? And luckily, I'm really good at multitasking. In fact, you know, there's several of my cohorts that you'll talk to them and they'll get all weirded out explaining how they can hold a conversation with me while I'm still typing up an email. Um, and then I type lightning fast. Uh, and so I'm able to just quickly jump around uh, in sharing what I do. And, and, you know, ultimately, I'm just, I'm a giant goober fan. I mean, Every once in a while, I'll wake up and wonder, am I going to stop liking what I'm doing? When am I going to grow up? Uh, and so far, it just hasn't happened. And, and often, I just love sharing it. You know, sometimes I'll get a tweet of like, oh, you're just being a tease. And I'm like, you know, I'm sure I'm doing a little bit of that. I freely admit it. But mostly, it's just I love sharing the coolness. And I can't share everything. But what I can share, I do want to share. And I, I just want to show how awesome it is that I get to be a part with the community in participating in making these universes that we love. Yep. Well, we really appreciate it. I, mean, I know that um, Tom Vassell and uh, we'll be over here in a little bit to do a video segment on a lot of the games. So I know that uh, coming in the next week or two, we're going to get to see some, some video footage of the games we're talking about. So um, if you guys uh, hear this, be keeping an eye on the Dice Tower. And, um, and we'll have that video coming up. So any last words? Yeah, I did actually have one last word, and, and Herb's going to kill me for this because, I mean, I've, been, I've, I've worked and developed on Battletech for longer than I care to admit, uh, but my life has been consumed helping get the massive 
you know, giant epic thing <laughs> that is everything that we're doing with Shadowrun. Um, but one of the exciting things we have for Battletech that's coming out at Gen Con is called Alpha Strike. Uh, and what it is, is it is a, if you're a tabletop war game player, War Machine, 40K, uh, Dust Warfare, in fact, I have a giant Dust Warfare game sitting up uh, on my table that my son and I have not been able to get to for weeks because of how busy we are. Um, and you've always wanted to do it with Battletech, but Battletech just is a little too much for you. Uh, Alpha Strike is a pure rules set for the tabletop miniatures player. It takes all of the flavor and all the fun and all the excitement of Battletech play and moves it 100% into fast play, uh, low amount of uh, the rules for each of the mechs, uh, creates an entire experience. And so all you need is miniatures and that one rule book, and you're going to be able to play it and experience it you know, please check it out. We're really excited about, you know, kind of this new way uh, in which we're trying to present Battletech. And it doesn't replace the, the board game or any of the others at all. Uh, it's just a whole new way uh, that people can come in and experience the, you know, the awesomeness that is uh, giant Stompy Robots. And you say it's Gen Con we're going to be seeing that? Yeah, at Gen Con, absolutely. Well, let me rephrase. I will kill people <laughs> <laughs> with prejudice <laughs> if it is not out Gen Con. But, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be out there. Fantastic. Well, guys, you, you've uh, heard all this. Uh, if you're going to be going to Gen Con, you need to go by and check out Battletech. You need to check out uh, the Duke. Uh, if you can get your hands on the 5th uh, edition uh, Shadow Run, I personally hope to be demoing on it tonight and get a chance to play it. So, Randall, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. I'm always happy to come on. Thank you. I am with Stephanie Marokin of Victory Point Games. Was I close enough on that? Close enough. Okay, great. <laughs> and uh, I was just was uh, over there at their booth and looking at some of their games, and you had a little game going on where you had to shoot a little Nerf gun and a thing in order to get uh, a discount off. And I will say, I hit the bullseye first shot. I put the gun down just kind of walked away. I did like a mic drop on that thing. <laughs> but anyway, so Stephanie, thanks for, for being here with us. And uh, so Victory Point Games, how long have you guys been around? We started in 2008, so we've been around for a good five, six years now. Uh, we started off um, as a traditional war game, or like the traditional 70s bag games, and have over the past two years have moved into boxed board games. We started off with war games, and we've moved on to Euro family strategy card games, kids games, uh, all across the board. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what games are you really focusing on here at the show? Is there a couple that you're really pushing that are, that are maybe the newer, the ones that are getting a lot of attraction? Well, of course, we're always pushing off our, our best seller, which is uh, you got to shot, uh, shoot the bad guy. <laughs> right. And that's uh, Darkest Night. It's a one to four player fully cooperative board game where you take four out of nine available heroes, each with unique powers and abilities. And you're trying to take down this necromancer who has taken over your kingdom and is trying to destroy it. You're fighting off his plagues and his blights and his monsters that he's leaving on the different towns. So you're trying to control the disasters while at the same time trying to gather your forces and build up your strength in order to take him down. Great. And uh, so is that your biggest selling game or do you have that others? That is our best seller. Okay. Uh, we're also pushing Tenka, which is our, our one of our newer card games. It's three to four players and it takes place in feudal Japan and it's a screw your neighbor card game. Okay. All uh, Your whole group is trying to become the next emperor of Japan and you're trying to gather up your provinces and have the most provinces before the, the end of the game. 
while trying to take away the other players' provinces. So you're trying to send your samurai to fight off their samurais and make them weaker. You're trying to gather up your, your lords and your priests. And at the same time, you have these bonus cards where you can take hostages. You can uh, send spies over to their, uh, to their area in order to take down their court. Okay. And you were telling me before we started that you had one of your uh, games reviewed by Tom Vassell of the Dice Tower, and it was one that he really liked. Which one was that one? Oh, that's uh, For the Crown, and it's a deck-building chess variant game. Okay. And we recently just released the four-player variant, All the Kings Meant for It. Oh, okay. That sounds kind of interesting. It's like a, almost a Dominion-type game with, with a chess-type board game. That's, yes, That exactly. sounds pretty cool. I'll have to go look that up on his uh, reviews and, and check that out. Mm-hmm. So it is Victory Point Games, and you are at VictoryPointGames.com. Yes. And you said this is your first time at Origins? Yes, it is. Has it been going well? You've been well-received? Uh, yes. Thankfully, everybody seems to like us now. And this is only the first day, so it's really going to get crazy by Saturday, so I hope you're prepped for it. I hope so. (laughs) Well, fantastic. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So I just got finished playing a new game from Victory Point Games called Darkest Night. This is a co-op game that they've presented, and it's based in basically, I guess it's more the, the medieval fantasy type realm where There's a necromancer out there to take over a town, a village, a certain area. But there are heroes out there that can go out there and take down the necromancer. And you have your staple heroes such as wizards and seers and fighters and priests and and princes and knights. and So it's it's kind of the standard fare, but it is a co-op game where we're all working together. And I had the uh, privilege of actually playing with my family for the first time. And so what I wanted to do is kind of give a first impression of this game. Um, and we'll just talk about how we felt this first time through. We're not going to say this is like the official review because we like to play games a couple times before we give the official review. But just how we felt once it's done. And so what who I have with me, somebody you've heard uh, before, my wife Vanessa. Vanessa? Hello. Thanks for being here. My middle son, Travis. Hey. And my oldest son, Adam. My name is Adam. Thanks. No problem. Okay. I like to clarify things. <laughs> so um, here's what we got. We had this board that was set up with a, a town, or a, uh, a map of different areas of a town. There was a village. Um, what else is in there? A monastery. Mountain. Castle. Mountain, castles. Um, ruins. And, and ruins. Forest, swamps. Amazing. So it was different locations that basically the heroes would move around. And the idea was is there's a necromancer coming out and basically um, spawning blights. Blights could be anything from like skeletons, uh, zombies. Spies. Um, spies. Damaging. Also environmental effects, fog, an evil presence, et cetera. That, that would make, you, make it harder to fight, um, harder to search. As in search is an important part of the game because basically here's the goal. You're playing on a, basically on a ticking clock. Um, there is a, a time track that uh, after, after each round, this, this counter goes up by one on the track, and after 30, uh, the game is over. What you're trying to do during this time is you've got to take down the Necromancer. But the Necromancer is an extremely strong adversary that you cannot take down alone because basically to kill it, you have to roll a seven on a one-sided die. 
What's on a one-sided die? How, about how does a, that work? <laughs> <laughs> I believe there were some theoretical physicists at Caltech working on this technology, this one-sided die. <laughs> what about a six-sided die? That works better. Okay. So anyway, thank you for the correction. It is late here. because <laughs> So we are, I'm a little bit giddy and a little bit foggy right now, in fact. All right. So anyway, so the goal is you have to roll a seven on a 1d6. Well, that's impossible. So how do you get that uh, achieved? You have to have a holy relic in your hand. And your holy relic uh, can increase your uh, die roll by one. To get a holy relic, you have to collect keys during the course of a game. You need three keys uh, to go and get a relic. Now, what's interesting about this game is after each round, uh, you don't know. When you go to a city, you're not exactly sure what is there because you have to search for it. Right, and you have to basically roll a die and try to achieve a search level. And I think most of the places were fours or threes, right? There so, was one, two. Castle yeah. was two. Okay, so when you were there, and they'll say it was to achieve a search and it was four, you had to roll a die. If it was four, five, or six, you uh, successfully searched. What was in that area was based on a card, a map deck. You flip over a card and it shows you what's in each area at that time which I thought was kind of interesting because you start at one place and you look across the board, hey, I know over there's a key. By the time you get over there, it may not be a key. It could be a treasure chest, which gives you a bonus. Um, what were some other things that, that you could find? You they know? had supplies where you could you know, choose what power you wanted to draw out of your deck. There were you know, waystones to allow you to teleport places. and Shrines. Um, yeah, shrines and... Uh, Mostly just miscellaneous things that you could use in combat and uh, in other places. Um, mostly, though, we found out that we just really wanted the keys. Yeah. So, so we managed to, you know, congregate towards places that had keys more often than others because they tell you on the board which locations are more prone to having keys or treasure chests or whatever. So um, you really have an idea of where you want to go, but you never really know when you want to be there. Right. And during the game... Um, after each round, like we said, there are blights that are spawned wherever the necromancer is. Each location can only hold four blights, and after that, the, the blights start actually spawning over in the monastery. Once the monastery gets four blights, if a fifth one tries to go in there, the game's over. So that's a losing condition. And let so, me say, the monastery served as a safe place. Yes, the, the necromancer could not travel there. And he, so since he couldn't travel there... He couldn't spawn a blight there. The only way a blight could get in there is if it overflowed basically from another area that already had four. And the benefit of that, why you would want to be away from him, was at the beginning of your turn, you would lose a secrecy point, which was one of the, the things that we had on there. Yeah, there was two types of resources on each person's card. There was a secrecy grace. and there was and grace, grace, which was... I almost want to say hit point, but it really wasn't a hit no. point with the way that it was listed. It could have been a hit point in it, theory. It, towards it, the end, of in the rules, it said it was these characters were actually given these special graces by the gods to restart civilization. Okay, or something like that in the rule book. Okay, and towards the end of the game, we did find ourselves actually referring to it as health, even though it wasn't health technically. In the game, one wound could have killed you. But it's the, this grace that saves you. And whenever you're supposed to die, you spend a grace and you don't die. So in essence, it acts more or less like hit points. Right, right, exactly. So uh, we ended up winning the game. Uh, we ended up working pretty well together and then we got three keys. Um, one thing we thought we had won earlier until we went back and, and read the rules and realized we didn't because we thought, hey, we beat the Necromancer because we combined some of our skills um, 
Travis was the fighter, so we thought it made sense with some of his abilities to be able to roll some extra dice. But we found out that if there's blight in the existing area, when you take do a, a damaging or striking blow to the necromancer, he transfers that damage to a blight and kills it instead. So really to take down a necromancer, uh, it has to be in an area where there's no blight either. So the blight has to be cleared out before the necromancer can be killed. And we kind of jumped over something. We talked about each of these different classes. One thing I think we, did, what we liked was each of the classes had really unique abilities. And at the beginning of the game, you got three of four set abilities. And during the game, what, what was the method you got more abilities? Treasure chests. So one thing you would search for is you get a treasure chest and you get to draw the next ability on your deck and it stays in play. And they do different things. There were some that would give bonuses to people. Um, there were some that would give, there was just an action that you could do. One thing was the, the classes were really well separated and each one was really good at doing the specific thing. Like I, sometimes classes can kind of homogenize a little bit and kind of mix up and overlap in roles but I don't think they did in this game at all. They were very well-defined in what they were supposed to do and what they did. And since you corrected me, homogenize. homogenize. So anyway, <laughs> just kidding, dude. So, so did I cover all the basically the basics of the game? Basically the basics. Basically the basics, I got them all. Basically. All right, so now our thoughts. What did we think of the game? And Vanessa, since you're the furthest across the table, we'll start with you and come around. Well, I always like games where the whole family can play them. That's why I like co-op games. Um, now, this was only two to four players. How many players is this? As I look at the back of the box, this is four. one to four players. Wonderful. Plays 150 minutes, which I think we beat that. It yeah, it didn't take last us that, that long. long. And and it, it can be played uh, solitaire, too. Yes. Yeah. I didn't read the solitaire rules, but they did say there was a way you could do it. So I like the fact that most of us could play. We had one that couldn't play <laughs> since we have five in the family. Um, I also liked, uh, my character was the seer, and a lot of times that character doesn't really add a lot when we do co-op games or um, the RPGs that we do, but she was able to lend a lot to the game. So I like that my character was in on the action even though she wasn't a fighter. So she, she was more of a support character. Yeah, I, yes, she was a support character, but one of her abilities was pretty sweet, where we had the two dice on the card, and I rolled two sixes. Yeah, do you want to explain that one, that, that ability? Well, that ability was, or that action, I took an action and uh, rolled two die, and whatever it was, I set it on my card, and we could save them to whenever we wanted to use them in the game. Mm -hmm. So we saved them when we fought the big bad, or the necromancer, at the end. and Yeah, and she rolled... Two sixes. Two sixes. And it was like, okay, we've got this. We knew that we saved those sixes that we just got to get uh, – uh, Travis was the fighter, and he was able – His one of his abilities was adding, being able to roll with an extra die. Yeah. Every uh, – in fact, any time I wanted to, any time I was doing a fight, I could just add an extra die to my fighting. Yeah, Adam had an ability to add plus one to the fighting. So but, we but, – But that was only after the darkness meter had reached a certain level. Right. Darkness meter, that was the name of it, yeah. Yeah. But another thing that I liked about the game was even though it only played two to four players, we actually had, was it eight cards, Nine. eight different characters? Nine. 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 Nine different characters. So we could play it again, choose different characters, and it would be a totally different scenario. Right. Travis, what do you think? Well, like Mom said, I like how it's, it's co-op. I like co-op co -op more than um, kind of head-on-head -head sometimes. Mm -hmm. But... 
Uh, I like how each class was able to like go off and do their own things. Like Adam was the acolyte, which was able to uh, negate some of the evil things, like getting rid of our secrecy or like. Kind of hard to describe. Yeah. Well, do you remember Adam? Oh, uh, get yeah. rid of blights or help not get affected by the blights. Right. And how Dad was able to give us more grace and. I, pl- I played the life. priest basically. Yeah. yeah. I like having the whole bunch of classes and being able to like switch everything up after you decide to like play it again sometime. Right. You know, like just backing up what Travis said and same way I felt. A lot of times in the games we play, a lot especially me, I feel like I play a character that doesn't lend too much and like they've said before, each of these characters had a certain set of abilities that really did add to the group. No one felt like, oh, that character really didn't do too much. Kind of weak. You know, we play a, a lot of games where some of the characters you might actually I did not to have. I, I maybe just didn't you play didn't, the priest yeah. well, but I didn't really get to use my abilities a lot. Maybe yes, because you y'all... did. You gave people grace back. You, we were always saying, you come to me so you can give me yeah. my grace. Not really. You're thinking in terms of healer, and you yeah, really played that so. role, but it was called something different. So. Adam, what'd you think? I, I liked it. I, overall, I liked the game. I liked the gameplay of it. I thought it was very smooth. One thing, and maybe it's just a testament to the fact that we've been playing games for so long, but we read through the rules once, and we were kind of baffled by a few things. A few paragraphs in the rules were a little oddly worded. But after the first or second turn, I think, around, we got we caught on to it pretty fast, and we started oh, yeah. um, playing it, and it started going really smooth. So I, I guess that's part of the, the game design, that it's a, you're able to pick it up after just a few turns and able to play it. Yeah. Very well. Travis said I played as the Acolyte. That's um, It's actually a very interesting class. Uh, it's not a lot that's in other games because it's kind of specialized to this game. It used to diffuse some of the Necromancer's powers, some of the blights that he does and everything. And, and that's one of the things I think is a testament to this game is the fact that all the classes are um, very, very specialized and they have all these powers that are very unique to the classes and they're able to really play a role in the group. And uh, I feel like with some cooperative games there is one character that really kind of lags behind all the others, or there's one that is way more important than the others, and you didn't get that in this game at all. Okay. Now, for me, um, I thought I thought it was a good game. Now, obviously, people are going to ask, how does this compare to other uh, co-op games? And, and we as a family played a, a lot of the most popular ones. We played uh, Pandemic. Uh, we played uh, Firefighter. Arkham Horror. Um, Arkham Horror is the first thing that comes point, to mind. You mean. Yeah. Ravenloft. What did I say? Firefighter. Yeah, uh, Flashpoint. Yeah. We were firefighters in Flashpoint. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, how does it compare to those? Well, I, I, I like the theme. I like the theme of this maybe more so than us playing firefighters, but then I'm into the whole fantasy thing. I think the roles are more definitive in this game than some other games. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to look to Pandemic to have really more definitive roles because um, there are really specific roles on that one that, that you can mm-hmm. do. I like the the way the the threat is increased over time with the increasing blight mm-hmm. over time. I like the multiple ways to lose, but only one way to win, which makes it tough because then you're battling uh, different fronts. There were two ways to win. Either kill him or collect three relics. relics. Thank you. Relics. Thank you. Actually, mm-hmm. and we kind of missed that in the rules, and I, yeah. we was reading through the rules we was playing, I went, oh, there's yeah. another way. But by that time, we already had your double sixes sitting on a card right. and a relic in hand, so we didn't even worry about that one. And... Let's say, too, now, that another um, thing that we liked about this was there are an optional set of rules 
and we didn't read them, but the game could be taken to another level. There was an expert yeah. mode. Yeah. yeah because the, the first playthrough, and, and you know, the first time we play a game, we always look over something, so there's probably something we didn't exactly. play, play right. But, but that's um, why I say we didn't want to really review it, yeah. because we'd have to play through it again. We may have missed something in, in the rules somewhere. Uh, one of the possible drawbacks in some game groups, this game could be hurt by that type A person in co-op games where if there's somebody that's in there that says, all right, I need you to do this, you to do this, you to do this, that can be kind of a, a killjoy to a lot of co-op games, but I think that's standard in a, in a lot of co-op games nowadays. I think a co-op game has to really focus on keeping that element out of the game in order for it um, not to be there. And I guess we're really thinking about that because of another game we demoed. Right. But, yeah. And it's I'm more of the person who lets the type A do it. So mm -hmm. yeah. um, I know that, that you thought about that more than I did. Another thing that I did like, too, is the fact that um, we could all take our turns in different order. Uh, as opposed to, oh, it's yes, like, the, the first, the, this time you're the first person, next time this is the first yes. person. I like this because at the beginning of every round we go, okay, who needs to go first this time? So we make sure that we can get things done correctly. It, the game is easy to do on your turn. You only got one of three actions to do. You, I mean, one of several actions to do. You only do one thing. You'd like either just move or fight, which kind of got, that took us a while because we wanted to move and fight, and you couldn't do it. So if you moved into an area where there was a blight there, you were going to have to fight it at the end of that turn or, or face it in some sort of way, but when you fought it, you didn't destroy it. That's one thing we had to kind of figure out on the, on the rules is that you had to actually perform your attack action in order to, to rid the blight altogether. And I think Adam made a very good point of how, well, it's like this area has skeletons. When you go in there, you may fight one skeleton, but to rid, of, rid them all, you have to take a special action during your turn in order to get rid of all of them. I guess the only other drawback for me was maybe the production quality could have been a, a, a tad uh, better. Now, it's, it's funny with this game from uh, Victory Point Games. We, we took it out of the box, and it's in a box. Well, first of all, the sleeve that the box was in is really good art. We like the art on all of the cards. Yes, we did. That was something we all great. mentioned. And, and I feel like almost maybe the art was so good to the point where they may have sacrificed a little on some other production qualities. Right. But, I mean, for a small game company, it's... So, More or less what you expect. It, that's true. And the box it comes in is a, is a generic box, but it says here at the bottom, it's like almost like the game plays the thing. Like, don't pay attention to this production value because it's how the game plays. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, but, but it's one of those things like this could have been, you know, the, the, the punch out card was kind of tough to get punched out, and there was some sort of um, soot. soot on there. There was actually a napkin included in the box that, that yes. says, use this napkin to wipe the, uh, the soot off the, the punch out. <laughs> Which I thought was card. very considerate. <laughs> it was. They gave some uh, bags for putting stuff in. I always appreciate yes. any games that put a bag. There's no dividers or anything like that, so you have to kind of bind your card yourself. But again, the game plays a thing. That's kind of their slogan. It's like, look, we're going to give you a fun game and try to keep costs down so we're not going to go with the really expensive cardboard and the big boards and everything like that. And I can appreciate that. And it, and it makes getting the, into the game a little bit easier to get into and, and for us to be able to play. So everybody want to play it again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I, 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 would, I would definitely again. want to play it again. And, and, go ahead. And, and if it hasn't been said, um, I don't think we, managed, we drew any comparisons to Arkham Horror. That's really kind oh, of the first right. thing that comes to mind. If you can imagine Arkham Horror except without a whole city, five or six locations that all the monsters are congregated in. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it, Arkham Horror towards the end can get kind of breakneck in the pace. Like it gets really pressured really towards the end. And this game really doesn't have that. It felt kind of relaxed in comparison, which I think maybe into the expert mode, that would be a little harder. But um, 
if you're trying to visualize, Arkham Horror is probably the closest thing you're going to get. That, thank you for saying that, because actually the uh, person at the booth actually said it's almost like Arkham Horror light. Yeah. And I can, I can see that aspect. All right, so we're going to bring this to the table again? Definitely. De oh, yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Cool. All the segments leading up to this one were recorded at Origins, and right now the entire family is back home in North Carolina, and we thought uh, to finish out this, this Origins report that we thought we'd just sit around and just kind of reflect on Origins. It's fresh in our minds on the stuff that we did, the stuff that we like, and we just would like to share it with everyone. So let me go around and introduce everybody again. So we have my wife, Vanessa. Yes, gamer mom. My youngest son, who was not in the previous segment, but is joining us for this one, Brett. Hello. Middle son, Travis. Hello. They know who I am. <laughs> and you are? Adam. Okay, thank you. Just yeah. in case they didn't know who you were. They, they, they should. Okay. So before we get started, Marty, I have to ask you a question. Sure. Is there a gaming term for the, um, I, I think of it as a gaming high, or the euphoria of after a con? You know that feeling? Well, actually, I have the actually down feeling after I, a con because it's over. I know. Well, that that's just depression. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's having to go back to work. It's like bipolar disorder, except without the happy parts. It's just polar disorder. <laughs> it's well, unipolar. I wondered, yes. I wondered if there was a feeling just, because coming I'm back, sure we were all... Yeah, sorry. Coming back, we were all chattering in the car and giddy and... It's like a gamer high. It is. It is. And so just, just a little bit of background. So our entire family has gone to the largest of American gaming cons, and that's Gen Con. We've gone a couple times, and we've also gone to a lot of smaller cons, ranging from anywhere from 100, a couple hundred, to 600 in that range. This is the first time the family has gone to Origins. And so I thought one of the things we'd like to talk about is, basically since this was your first time to Origins... How does it compare with some of the other conventions you went to, especially between the largest, Gen Con, and some of the smaller? <clears throat> Vanessa, you want to start? Well, for me, Origins was just a scaled-down Gen Con. You said Gen Con had about 50,000 people? 40,000, 40, yeah. And Origins this year had... They, they released the numbers today. It was 11,500 people. Well, for me, it felt like Gen Con, but on a smaller, more manageable scale. I felt a little more relaxed. Gen Con, I felt pressured, like there was no way I could ever see it all or do it all. But here, the first thing I felt was just a more relaxed feeling. Um, and meeting people, it just felt like a big family. And we even talked about this before, um, that when you go to conventions, everyone's accepted. You see all kind of fans there. People are interested in all different kind of games. And everyone's accepted. Yes. So, yeah, and then, um, well, that, that was it for me between Gen Con and Origins. I feel like Origins, if you're going to go to Gen Con, then do Origins first and plan it that way because it'll give you a really good idea of how it's laid out the different gaming rooms, different seminars, the vendor hall, and you can get a good grasp on then what Gen Con would be. I wish we had done it that way. Right, right. So, Brett, what did you take away from it compared to some of the other conventions you've been to? Well, I'm going to refer to Goldilocks and Three Bears. This is the Just Right Porridge. Nice. Oh. Um, Gen Con was the too much. I felt like I couldn't breathe. It was just overly crowded. 
and some other gaming conventions um, just felt too small and I couldn't choose um, as much as I could as Origins. In Origins, it just felt like I wasn't overly crowded. There was plenty of games for me to try out and um, plenty of events for me to check out and it was just really fun. And just for reference, uh, Brett is 10, Travis is 13, and Adam is 17 for age references. Okay, Travis, you're up. What do you think? Or how do you think it compares? Well, I do like how it was smaller and more manageable than uh, Gen Con, but I think I do like smaller cons because I really enjoyed the smaller cons that we've been to, like Mason, Con Carolinas, because uh, just like the whole, it's kind of smaller, and I like all, seeing all the local vendors and stuff. But I liked Origins because it was... Like Mom said, a scaled-down version of Gen Con, how it was uh, a lot more relaxed, and you were able to do more of the things that you wanted to. And Adam? I'm going to be a, a, kind of a black sheep here. I really don't think it's all that different than Gen Con, especially now. Uh, 30,000 people difference, yeah, and, and that kind of gives you a, a sense of you know how it feels different, how there's less people there, and you kind of get that sense. But um, I feel like the reason why... It's been said that we felt more pressured and a little more claustrophobic at Gen Con is because it was the first time we've done anything like it. And we kind of just, you know, the, the old paradigm of throwing a frog into a pot of boiling water. It's going to try and get out as opposed to warming it up over time. Um, so so in, that, in that case, I think if we were to go to Origins before Gen Con, we would have felt the same way we did at Origins that we felt at Gen Con. Uh, that being said, it is more relaxed. And um, I feel like... If you know what you're doing and if you know what to expect, you're going to enjoy it a lot more than if you just decide to go just off a whim. And I feel like you need to go to some of the smaller conventions before you go to Origins or Gen Con to know what to expect. Because when you walk into a smaller convention, it's pretty much just everybody sitting there playing games. And um, there is that at Origins and there is that at Gen Con too. But you also have some of the more, you know, the seminars, the, the bigger vendor halls and everything that they have like that. But uh, all in all, I really don't think there's that. I didn't feel too different at Origins than I did at Gen Con, really. Okay. One thing that I noticed about Origins, you know, compared to Gen Con, is it seems like even though Origins is all, it's one big convention center, but everything is kind of right there. Remember at Gen Con when we had to walk to that one hotel? And I can't think of the hotel. Oh, so they had to accommodate more people that way. Yeah, I mean. but there was the hotel we had to walk all the way to, to do the RPG. And a lot of the connecting hotels that had events, they took a while to get to. Yes, they had the Hyatt connected to the convention center, you know, for some of the RPG rooms, but it was so close, it didn't feel like it was that long of a walk. That's one nice thing about Origins. Everything is just kind of right there, but there's more than enough room to accommodate everybody. This is off of the gamer note, but Origins' choices of food and restaurants was better, I thought. You had more within the convention center, and their prices were really good. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and cut to the food because I know there's a couple of things that we want to talk about. Yes, we discovered the North Market, which is right there beside the convention center. And for anyone out there whose wife does not game and is holding back on going, Origins is a great place to go because she could stay at North Market the whole time while That's her right. husband was gaming. Constructed in 1876, North Market was built for the citizens of Columbus Town. Oh, I'm not even going to do Well, it is, it's an artisan place, and it has just endless food um, vendors in there. There was the, the fish guys. There's the Greek place. We can't even name try, them Try to name them all. There. There's Vietnamese and Thai and Italian and barbecue. Um, 
a waffle place that was absolutely Belgian, awesome. Belgian waffles. Yeah, that was just incredible. The pretzel place. The pretzel place was awesome. They just had uh, uh, vendors for vegetables and a butcher was there. And it's not that expensive. We actually found that eating at the North Market, we spent as much going to the food court mm-hmm. in the hotel and eating like Subway and such as we did in North Market. And North Market was much better. And that's, you don't expect that because North Market really, it tastes like it should be really expensive, but it's not. Yeah. And then there's other things beside food. There were a couple booths where there was jewelry, there's mm-hmm. fresh flowers, um, different, different things to buy, t-shirts, spices mm-hmm. and then on saturday and sunday both there were even local artists who were there outside and they had set up their things they had flowers again and homemade jewelry and um, singers and it's just a place to hang out really right right and it gets really crowded uh do not go around lunchtime especially when one of the sessions it gets out at one it is actually more crowded in North Market than it is in the Vendor Hall at Origins. <laughs> I will agree with that. Yeah, because I, 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 that that's, that's true. So, um, so kind of segueing back to the convention, you mentioned the Vendor Hall in space. One thing I do like about Origins Vendor Hall more so than Gen Con, did y'all not feel like there was a lot more room well, the, the in, the hall, in the hot aisles than there was at the Gen Con? The aisles yes. are much, much yeah. wider. And, I mean, part of that is because there's not as many you know, companies there at Origins. But I, I think it was very... The format was very organized, and it was it was very spacious, and uh, that's good for me because I get claustrophobic in crowds, and I kind of felt like Gen Con. I had to go sit in the corner for a few minutes and kind of catch my breath for a little bit. But at Origins, I didn't feel like I needed to do that. I felt like I could stay in the vendor hall most of the day and feel totally comfortable. Right. All right. So let's talk about some specific experiences that each one of us had at, at Origins that you might want to focus. Obviously, we had a lot of them, but if there's one that kind of sticks out in your mind. Let's talk about uh, some of those. Vanessa, you got one that sticks out? Well, one of the first things we did, you and I demoed a game that's coming out in August, Damage Report. Mm-hmm. And I just really enjoyed that. That was an awesome co-op game, but it has a little different spin on it and that all the players are taking their turns sort of at the same Simultaneously. time. Simultaneously. Each one has a, a timer. But you you don't have time to stop, and for someone you, you call it the A personality for someone to manage the group and tell everyone what to do. You're working on your own on your own timer to achieve the same goal. But that was that was an awesome game to now, demo. In part one of my report, it was actually we had the interview with the uh, representative from that uh, company yeah. called uh, Break from Reality Games, mm-hmm. and it was extremely nice. I've been chatting with them online, so. Yeah, that, that was a really good experience. It's amazing how that one demo of that one game has, has really uh, stuck with us the entire time after all the other games we played. Yep. And I did enjoy Edge of the Empire. Yeah, so the first night we were there, Wednesday night, as soon as we got in, uh, we had one RPG session as a, a family. Uh, Brett didn't play. He was too busy enjoying his new Animal Crossing game on the 3DS. But the rest of us sat at a table to try out the new um, Fantasy Flight uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire game. All of us have played RPGs before, and that was a little bit different, especially when it comes to the dice, because it's not rolling numbers on a die, it's rolling symbols and comparing them. How did y'all like that system? Well, I didn't like that because it did feel like more of a board game without the board. It was, and how, like, there weren't a whole bunch of numbers to add, which I do like. You like the more crunchy systems. Yeah, like Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't like the dice. The dice weren't. <laughs> no. I like the dice. <laughs> she liked the dice. I do like the universe. 
It is. Yeah. It's, it's something that's very familiar. And when they were referring to huts and stuff, yeah. we knew exactly what they were talking and, about. And I know at least me, me and Dad, Travis too, are, are you know religious Star Wars fans. So I'm gonna pretty much defend the game no matter what, just because I love the universe so much. And but but the dice system is a little weird. It did feel a little a little light to me, and I would rather ha- you know I probably would rather have had actual numeric dice in order to determine skills checks and damage and stuff like that right but it's still a pretty decent game okay cool so brett your unique experience that you kind of remember well walking into the building is always a um, the costumes were great uh, all the ones i actually noticed were actually pretty good like the stormtroopers yes a steampunk guy that me and mom saw with a mm-hmm. robotic arm looked very awesome another memorable moment now, who said it wasn't a good memorable moment? What's that LARP? <laughs> you did great at it. So, for, so for a little uh, heads up, for the first time, we tried LARPing. Um, for we, those of you who don't know, that, that's live-action role-playing, and we took on the roles of the monsters, so we weren't the adventurers. We were the NPCs, basically, that the uh, player characters were trying to defeat. And for that, we, we put on masks, and they gave us the foam swords and told us our hit points, basically, and... And it was basically fighting with foam swords, except that we found out that not everybody played by the rules. If you have social anxiety, don't do it. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> Be- because it-, it is a little overwhelming at first. I, I kind of... At Gen Con, m- me and Dad did uh, the True Dungeon. Some of you may know what that is. It's kind of like playing D&D, but you're, you're using yourselves as more of a, you know, the figures that you're moving on the map. And you, it was turn-based. You moved this many spaces, and you attacked, and you rolled a die for damage. And it was puzzle-based. And, and it was. It was puzzle-based, not combat-based. So I thought it was very familiar, and I really liked it. But then there's this thing. <laughs> and there's no, there's no sense of organization, or rhyme, or reason, or anything. There's no turns. There's no... And I, I, I didn't... I, I think Vanessa had the worst experience. You want to share yours? Uh, yes. I would say it was in the first 45 seconds. <laughs> I, I was not fully prepared that it was going to be like 12 to 15. We had middle school girls with these long foam swords. In hindsight, we probably should have expected something like that. And they just went crazy. <laughs> My bracelet was broken. I was hitting the lip. And I don't know what I did to this one girl, but she... You had both of her hands on the sword, raised it over her head, and whacked me over the head as hard as she could. <laughs> I didn't know you pulled the bracelet. <laughs> I, my bracelet was broken. Yeah, so part of the rules are you're not supposed to strike somebody else in the face. <laughs> and uh, and somebody... I got across the lip and across the head. So Vanessa kind of had to pull herself out of the game for a few seconds or she was going to go postal. And count to ten. So in conclusion. Serenity now. Serenity now. In conclusion, Serenity in now. regards to LARPing at Origins, don't. <laughs> no, now that's not true because they really did. They had it set up nice on the outside and they there were people who worked there all the time who went with you. I think that... I just didn't know what to expect. So right. now that we've done it, I would know what to expect. And I think it would be different. But I did kind of feel like we were just thrown in. And and if you're, you have to be able to to just take it. I mean, people yeah. are, are pounding on you with <laughs> the swords. And when you're the monster, you have to let them win. Yeah, and, and the way it works is uh, each time you're struck with a sword, there's a number of damages dealt to, dealt to you. And you subtract that from your hit points. Once you're at zero, you fall down. Well, when you got like 
15 swords uh, whacking on you. It's like a three, six, nine, twelve. I mean, you're trying to count up all the hits. And meanwhile, you're trying to hit back. I was, I was maybe in there 10 seconds before. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'll consider myself dead now. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. Well, I was surprised because I'm a calm, happy person all the time, and I really wanted to hit him back. I had to just, it makes you want to hit him. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Travis and um, Brett, you both played Hero Clicks. How was that? You did a little booster tournament. Well, well the, the card did say it was going to go from 10 to 6, and when it only lasted an hour, I was a bit confused. <laughs> but, and none of my figures were really not that good. Yeah. It was a booster draft, so you really don't know what you're going to get in that. But looking back, we realized it's not that the tournament... Or, or the playing was going to last that long. It's just that it was open that long for people to play. Right. Yeah. Right. And Adam, what is what's the big memorable experience for you? Well, uh, I attended several seminars uh, for writing, writing prose and stuff like that. And that's something I've kind of gotten into doing recently at conventions. And I, what really when I go to a convention, what I do is I try to do something like that. I try to do a game, and I try to walk around the vendor hall for, for the first time, you know, to kind of see where everything is. And um, after after I'm through with the convention, there's things I'll look back and I'll say, if I go to this convention again, I'll need to do this instead. Because when you go to a convention the first time, you're really just trying it out and seeing what there is they have to offer. The classes were great, by the way. I learned how to write a short story from Timothy Zahn, who wrote the Star Wars novels that have been widely accepted as the most fitting to continue the saga after the original trilogy, although not anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe he should have wrote, written episode seven. We'll, um, we'll see what J.J. Abrams, Abrams does. He's not writing it. It's Michael Arndt that's writing oh, okay. it. He wrote Toy Story 3, by the way. Fascinating. <laughs> anyway, um, looking back at Origins, there is one thing I wish I would have done more, and that is the boardroom. Have you explained that? The I, I have not. Go ahead. So th- it's this huge room. It's this hall that they have completely dedicated to just playing games the whole time. They have games. You buy, buy a pass and you go in and you can rent any game you want. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Well, check out a game. Check out a game. Yeah, the yeah. badge allows you to check out any number of games you want. Right. And you and you can stay there till what? What you? It's twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. Yeah. So, so I did. I wasn't in there a lot. I was in there once when we played Darkest Night, and that was it. And if I go again, I would want to buy one of those passes and spend more time in there playing games um, because I've already seen the vendor hall now and I kind of know what's there. So I really don't need to go there too much, as much as I did this time anyway. And if there's any classes that interest me, I'll go to those. But I think the boardroom is really where you ought to spend your time because that's where you're playing the most games. I agree. And both of us took our war machine, didn't even play it. I I know. uh, Maybe, I don't know. We just didn't have time to, I don't think. I think there was so much going on. We. That was just kind of something we were going to do if we, you know, we ever needed. And, and we just didn't we have didn't the time. I didn't make the comment earlier, but um, I, the difference between Origins and smaller uh, conventions to me, uh, smaller conventions are more game-focused. There's more of that, just an open room, and you just play games. People there demoing games. Uh, you bring your own games. There's game rooms where you check out games. So I feel like the smaller, especially Scarab, and Scarab had a sweet swag bag too. Which is in Columbus, South Carolina. Um, Columbia. Columbia. We were just in Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Columbia, sorry. That Christopher Columbus, he gets around, you know. (laughs) Smaller area cons uh, feel like they're more gang-focused. Now, some of them may have some seminars, and they do have small vendor halls, but the larger ones 
are going to be the ones where I'm, I'm trying to think about um, those people out there who don't game and what would make them want to go to a convention and I, some of these have some I made jewelry there's crochet uh, excuse me crocheting sessions croquet sessions <laughs> oh, I'm oh, glad wow. I didn't Latest have a mallet in conventions. <laughs> oh please don't lark with those <laughs> take a mallet making. to the head um, at Gen Con, there were even exercise sessions, so even some of the seminars will be appealing to non-gamers. Right. But at your smaller ones, you're not going to have as much of that. That's true. That's true. I mean, at Gen Con, they have the whole section of events that are strictly for like spouses yes, who aren't yes. into gaming. Yes. Yoga yes. and exercise, like yep. you said. And then Origins had two rooms we didn't utilize because we didn't need to, but there was a video room where you could play um, video games. I think it was $6 an hour. Right. And yeah. you, you check sign your kids in there and they play video games with others. And then there was a kids room and it was a really large room where they were... Um, playing games and doing different crafts and they had things set up for the kids and it was free but you would go and sign them in right um and one thing about origins we saw infants little babies a month old and then all the way up to i know i saw a couple and they were in their 80s and they were so cute walking with their bags of games that they had bought and their passes around their neck it was it was neat to see that. Well, that goes they, back. They, they actually ahead. played the first edition of H.G. Wells' Little Wars. Uh, <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> wow. Cruelty on the podcast. Um, Are they going to listen to it? I mean, <laughs> probably not. So one of my... So one they of were my, at Origins, they might. That's true. <laughs> one, of, one of my more memorable experiences, the same kind of experience I had last year, and it was... Saturday night, uh, Tra oh, Travis, you didn't talk about your um, oh, yeah, your Pathfinders thing. Let me come back to you in a second. Yeah. Uh, Travis was doing an RPG session, and I believe Vanessa and Brett were out swimming, and Adam was doing some online homework or something like that. Anyway, I was out in the uh, hall by myself, and I was walking by and saw um, some people uh, playing a, a father and his two sons playing Volspar from uh, Stronghold Games, which we wanted to buy, and they sold out on Sunday. And I started talking to this guy, and it's just one of those things, like you said, you just have a connection. He was a dad, I was a dad, we was talking about gaming, and I just stood there and talked with him for 45 minutes. Comes to find out, he does a um, how-to-play video series on uh, YouTube, and I hope I get this right, I, his, his hashtag is at mod... Table Gamer at Mod Gamer. Hashtag I'm, at Mod Table I'm sorry. I know I got this wrong. His name was Peter Trending. Krause. I, his name was Peter Krause. I do remember that. And I, we kind of shared some information. Now we're following each other on Twitter. Just a real nice guy. And then on, on Sunday, we went to Stronghold to demo a couple games. Uh, we met um, Dan, um, who is part of the Geek All-Stars podcast, who is also part of the Dice Tower Network, and he was dimming us some of the Stronghold games, and we just sit there and chit-chatted for a long time. He was also a dad. He said he played baseball growing up, went to Campbell University, and he lives um, in Apex, North Carolina, which is about three hours away from us here. So for me, it's still just the meeting perfect strangers, and you instantly got a connection. You just sit there and, and talk. Yep. That also makes me think, I, we need to do an episode where I can just say all the reasons for non-gamers needing to go to conventions. Because at Stronghold, they were doing like Mayfair. You demo their game, and you get a ribbon to go on your badge. And it was um, 
squire, lord, knight, baron, king. Were all you memorize it. That's good. And and once you collected their whole set, which was five, you could get a game for half off. Yeah, which is why I was going to buy Volspar for 50% off, mm -hmm. and then they were sold out. Well, I'm the type of person, and y'all know, if it's free or half off or collect the whole set, I am all about it. Yeah, she is. So Mayfair had that, and now Stronghold has that, but that's an appealing thing to me, that's is to, to play the games and get the ribbons and... All right, so back to Travis. So one of your more memorable experiences was participating in your first Pathfinder Society game? Yeah, my first Pathfinder Society scenario. Um, one of the things I really like about Pathfinder Society is that you don't have to uh, meet up with the same group each time. Because you can have like a different... You can go to a gaming store in Wisconsin and, with, and use one of your characters and then go to one in California and it'll still be pretty... I would still use the same character because it's just in the same universe and not a different campaign that right. you have to play through with each character. And another thing is you don't have – if you want to get too attached to your character, you can make it, like, stretched out by having a um, – you can choose to have a prolonged experience, which is you take twice as long to reach the next level. Mm -hmm. One of the things I didn't like is that you could only use official Pezo supplemental classes because – I bought a book for 25 bucks <laughs> with the class I wanted to use just for that night, but I couldn't, so I kind of wasted 25 bucks. <laughs> so basically, if anybody is wanting to buy the book, what's it called? Psionics Unleashed. Contact me. We have an unused copy here ready to go that we'll sell to you at a discounted price. Maybe you just put it on eBay or $24. something. $24. $24.99. You must pay shipping. Oh, boy. Cash only, please. <laughs> All right, so to wrap up, everybody had a good time at Origins? Oh, oh yes. yes, yes. Definitely. Now, just let me ask, just out of curiosity, if at this point in time, if you had the choice between Origins and Gen Con, Ooh. what would you pick and why, Vanessa? I would say Origins just because it was less people and easier to manage, and, and it was a good size for me. Now, I, I'm not going to... You know, I'm not dissing Gen Con, and if you buy a ticket, I will go, <laughs> and I will enjoy it. But I, I think it was all of the other things, too, even outside of the gaming itself, the cost of the food, the easy access to food, right. um, the generosity of the people there. The people in the hotel were so nice and accepting of us. They would, when we would come in from the convention center, did you have fun? What are you playing today? Especially our doorman, Clifford. We had a great doorman. Clifford was awesome. Is but, he going to listen to this? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so that's, those are the reasons that I would say Origins. Brett, what do you think? Origins, same with... Um, Mom. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to Who's that girl again? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the price range, um, the food price range was good, um... Food price range was good. Um, ben and I found a coffee place that we liked with oh, frozen yeah. hot chocolate, and it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I don't know how frozen like hot chocolate do. works, but that's okay. It Wouldn't that awesome. just be chocolate? <laughs> it's actually frozen really chocolate. Frozen chocolate. Yeah. So you pick Origins. Pretty good. I pick Origins because it's more clambered in, but still have space to breathe. Right. Like, you know, if I just wanted to go... It's all in like the same building, you know. Nothing's out of the building, and you know, the vendor hall isn't too big or too small for me. Um, you have lots of things in the vendor hall. 
it had pop culture stuff and gaming too, which I kind of like that because I like to see like Doctor Who references and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I also like to see, um, at Gen Con, it's like, um, it's gaming booths and a little bit of pop culture booths and it's more claustrophobic. Right. <laughs> like, because, like Adam said. Just because of, or, um, Gen Con, I have a little bit of claustrophobia. Claust- yeah. Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Travis? Um, I think I might also choose Origins, <laughs> mostly because you didn't, at Gen Con, you couldn't just go to a room and pull out a game, and you just start playing. But they did have some of that, but it was only for, like, specific games. Like, they had a certain area devoted to War Machine or a certain area devoted to uh, Warhammer 40K. But one of the things I really did like about Origins that, well, everybody else has said, is that it's it's not as harsh. Congested. And, and um, congested, yeah. And... I just, you run into the same people. Yeah, that is kind of cool. That doesn't happen yeah. at Gen Con because on on the uh, we played with a, a guy at the Star Wars RPG Wednesday night. I think we ran him to him once a day, yeah. and every time we just sit there and chit chatted. I, I think I remember from his name tag Clint. I'm pretty sure. I can only remember his name within the game, Kite. Okay. Kite. Kyt. There's a hard K sounds. Yeah, the younger guy too. So Adam, you Gen Con. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm different from everyone else here because I know Dad's going to say Origins probably. But um, <laughs> I I would rather go to Gen Con because it feels like that is the premier gaming convention. And when you're at Origins and you demo a game and you're like, well, I want to buy this. I like this. It's like, well, it's going to be released at Gen Con. Well, that would be great if I were going to Gen Con. <laughs> but, I mean, if when you go to Gen Con, you feel like everything is happening there and they've got all the, the big companies there releasing all their new stuff. And uh, if you want to go and play a game, there, there are places you can do that. Maybe they're not designated for them, but there are areas in the convention center and places in the hotels where you can go and pull out a game and you can play with your friends like you do at Origins. And, and, and that's why I feel like maybe I'd rather go to Gen Con. If you stay away from the vendor hall, maybe not spend as much time in the vendor hall at Gen Con than you would at Origins, but still kind of look around. They have all the companies there and they're all releasing their stuff. And I, it feels like things are happening more at Gen Con. At Origins... It doesn't feel like things are necessarily happening. And what I mean by that is things aren't being released. Things are being talked about. They're not being hyped up. Well, they are being hyped up. But um, I feel like it's kind of the same thing at a smaller convention like Scarab or Mace in Charlotte where you go and you play games and then you go home and that's about it. But at Gen Con, you know, you have, it's almost like an E3 for board games. You guys have all this stuff happening at once and all these people releasing their new stuff. And I feel like it's a little more exciting in that respect. Actually, no, I will say Gen Con also. Oh. And pretty much... for one. So for the exact same reasons, because that is the show. That is where everybody gears toward every year. Every company is looking to make sure they got their great new product released at Gen Con. And I just like getting caught up in that frenzy of the, of the brand new. Now, granted, I, I agree. If I'm going to game, I will game a lot. I'll find it a lot easier to game and to game a lot more at Origins than I will at Gen Con. But it is kind of nice being in all the buzz of everything that goes on at Gen Con. So, that kind of wraps up the Origins. Now, we've actually got another con that we're going to be going to in a couple months that we've never been to. You've probably heard of it. And it's an experience that um, everybody who has been says that you're in for a treat. Uh Okay, hang on. Um, It's not Comic-Con, by the way. You may may have thought that. It's not. It's, It's... no, it's not. It's the largest 
type of that fandom, con, fandom, fandom on the East Coast. We're going to Dragon Con yes. in Atlanta, which I think last year had 50,000, 60,000 people in it. So it's even bigger than Gen Con is. And it's not just gaming. It's just complete fandom. So right now, I think we're all in the process of trying to come up with some costumes for cosplaying because I think we all want to cosplay one day. So maybe after our... Or two. Vanessa's saying two. Three now. Now it's three. Anyway, (laughs) uh, maybe after we finish uh, that con, we'll sit back down again and kind of compare how that compares to everything because I'm sure that will be a totally different story. (laughs) I guess. So anybody got any final words before we wrap up? I can't remember. There was something I wanted to say, but I forgot. I'm free for costume suggestions for Dragon Con. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what I'm going to be. They don't know how you look like. They don't know how you I wanted to say a little bit about the vendor hall, that it is the um, gaming company's stronghold, Mayfair, help me out with some of the ones with uh, their own Kickstart, mm-hmm. uh, Victory Points. What are some of the other ones? I don't want to... That on Kickstart? Well, no, that were just there um, okay. at you Origins. Say, did you say Catalyst Games? No, Catalyst. Um, that was some of the big ones. Mayfair is the, probably the biggest. Z-Man. Yeah, Rio Grande, Asmodee. So you have all of the gaming groups that have their booths. Right. And they're demoing their games. Right. And then they have their games for sale. Right. But in addition to that, again, for those people that may not be gamers, but there are party games. There was a whole section devoted to party games. There was Mm -hmm. Wits and Wagers, Mm -hmm. um, a new game we tried, Spot It, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then there were just some other, other... party type games right but then there's also jewelry clothes costumes stuffed animals um lego figures little uh lego mini figures so there are other things in the vendor hall besides just games Mm -hmm. again for someone who, who might be interested in other things and another thing in the vendor hall is costumes. I might have already said that, but getting ready for Dragon Con, I was very interested in the costumes. And right now, steampunk is my thing. And it was it was neat to see all of those costumes and buy some goggles and start thinking about that. Yep. In fact, we got, what, a monocle and some goggles. Yep. And so I got some jewelry. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, again... I. Thank everybody here for attending Origins with me oh, this well, year. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun, and thanks for sitting in. And, and I would attend talking. it without you. Oh, whoa! <laughs> I'm attending it without you next year. Whoa! What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. So next year is going to be kind of tricky because Adam's graduating next year, and we're trying to figure out he's going to graduate like right when it starts. And we have to figure out how this is all going to work out. But I think everybody's anxious so to go. So if NASA's back. listening, teleportation needs to happen by then, so I can go to Origins. There you go. <laughs> All right, again, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. So that brings us to the end of our special two-episode Origins Report. We just wanted to share with you some of the experiences we had at the show, with the interviews we had with the companies, with the experience we had with other gamers, and just the overall event itself. We had such a wonderful time, and part of the reason we have a wonderful time is just because of the gaming community. There were over 11,000 people there coming from different areas of the country with different backgrounds and beliefs and ideologies, but we had something that bound us all together, and that was our passion for gaming. All you had to do was walk up to somebody at a table, start talking about a game, and you had an instant friend. That's what makes this hobby so much fun. The community. 
So thanks for listening. And just remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names. We have our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. We have a Facebook page, and we also have a guild page on the BGG forums. So as always, keep rolling dice and taking names. Wow, so much enthusiasm. This episode was sponsored by the Gamers Codex, your source for game news, reviews, and a fun place to discuss the games you enjoy playing. Visit them at thegamerscodex.com. So tell me more about this one-sided die concept. Yeah, there's been some research surrounding it. Apparently it's in development and they say it's going to revolutionize the hobby gaming world. It's a die, if you can understand, in an extra dimensional sense that simultaneously is a critical failure and a critical success. And they say it's, the implications are pretty huge. I'll still fail my roles.